Myself, along with uh, Paul Bickford, who chatted last week, uh, Corinne Simpson, really the whole directional leadership team, have been really working on this concept of how do we help the generation that's coming up to actually move into this culture and not be overwhelmed by it, not be co-opted by it, not be owned by it. How do we help that happen? And obviously this, the answer to that question has more than I'm going to talk about today. But one of the areas that we know is a very important piece of that is how parents, and really even grandparents, are involved in the lives of their children in helping them to actually own the culture in the Bible as opposed just to telling them, don't do what the culture in the world is telling you. There's a gentleman by the name of Tim Elmore who wrote a book called Artificial Maturity. In fact, it just came out in March. Artificial Maturity. It really is an excellent look. It's a book that is incredibly well-researched. This is what he says about um, kind of where the culture is in terms of affecting our kids. He says, I've lost count of the number of university deans who've told me 26 is the new 18. When asked what marks the beginning of adult responsibility, Young people's number one response is having my first child. Children are overexposed to information far earlier than they're ready. Children are underexposed to real life experiences. The time frame of adolescence is actually expanding in both directions. Children desire to enter it as early as eight years old having expo- have been exposed to the teen websites, social media, reality TV, explicit movies, unlimited time viewing data that beckons them into teen mentality. In this sense, it seems like they want to grow up too fast. At the same time, young adults linger in adolescence longer than they used to, way into their 20s and even their 30s. In a recent interview with Colonel Randy Allen, an officer who has trained pilots in the Air Force for over 25 years, Tim said, I gained some insight into our challenge. He summarized this insight by quoting this man, kids today possess knowledge without context. Knowledge without context. Then he added, and that can be dangerous. Minimally, many hunger for genuine reality, risk, and uncertainty, but are being satisfied with virtual reality. This is a tough culture. You know, we could have said... 35 years ago, 40 years ago, this is the toughest culture on the planet from all times to literally develop a life that's reflective of Christ. And if we could have said that 
40 years ago, what would we say about today? Because since then, we have reset the new normal dozens of times. And so the normal for our culture today is so far from the normal that it was 40 years ago, you can hardly recognize it. Well, one of the things we're going to be talking about today that God tells us is a key to this whole process of how do we get help our children and even our young adults get their arms around what Christ wants to do in maturing their lives. And we're going to go to Psalm 78, but let me just make a comment because this is so unique. There is one method that has been used by all cultures for all times to help shape children into adults. One method, not the only method, but this is a constant method. We can't find a culture that doesn't use it, and that is telling stories. Telling stories is a way in every culture of grabbing the hearts of young people, giving them a vision for what they want to be, creating in them a thirst to grow and to be like the heroes in their stories. And so we're going to go to Psalm 78. And in Psalm 78, let's listen to what God says. He begins actually in verse 1 by saying, oh my people, listen to my instructions. It's another way of saying, God is speaking, you might want to listen up. In verse 2, it says, I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us, and we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. And then if you just skip down a little, we go to verse 7. So each generation should set its hope anew on God. That is the purpose of these stories. These stories centered in God and how God showed up and what God did and what God values. When we understand that, when a child growing up can make those uh, stories important to them, then they set their hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles. Uh, Really, that's a powerful description of much of what Jewish life was like growing up. And by the way, we could, we could go to um, Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is when the people of Israel have just finished their 40 years of wandering. They're getting ready to go into the land. And look what uh, Moses says in one of his sermons to them. In verse 9, chapter 4, Deuteronomy. But watch out, be careful never to forget what you have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord God at Mount Sinai, 
where he told me, summons the people before me and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live and they will teach their children to fear me also. That's a very common approach. If you were raised in a Jewish family through that Old Testament period right into the New Testament period, you would have many times when you were entertained, when you were challenged, because these same stories were being told. And they were being told again and again. And by the way, the adults needed to tell them again and again, because there's something that really helped the adults when they reminded themselves again of the power of God and what God values and how God moves. And so part of the answer that we need to grasp is stories. Stories are a method that is powerful if done well in capturing the hearts of our children. Now, if you were raised in Israel, any time in the Bible, you would have had a bunch of stories. You didn't just have biblical stories, because everybody had an Uncle Jacob who was kind of a funny guy. You know, everybody had an Aunt Ruth who really, you know, we wondered if she was all there. So you had all those personal stories just like we did. But everyone in the culture had the same biblical stories. And because everyone in the culture had the same biblical stories, they shaped the culture. And the culture supported uh, what God was about and who God was. So, cultures teach us values. So if we're going to be successful today in getting to the place that as parents and grandparents and no matter where you are in life, if you want to get hold of allowing God to reshape your life, to create in you the culture that he wants for you, we're going to have to go to God. We're going to have to find ways to teach what the Bible says about God. Now, the reason it's so challenging today is because our culture is telling thousands of stories. They are spending billions of dollars. And much of it is marketing. So they have got to figure out how to create a value in you so that you will want what they're selling. And they do it through story. Stories are important. Why don't we take a look at this video? Let's look at the story of uh, one of our own. I've met my next door neighbor who was asking me to come to church with her on Sundays. And um, it took me a good three years, two years to answer to her. And I said, okay. And last year in, for Easter in 2011, I decided to just jump in the car and go with her to church. And, um, and that's when I actually came to Fellowship Bible Church for the first time. And uh, it was uh, it was quite an experience. I was they had the praise gang going. They had um, a series on James, and um, I loved the the way Crawford talked. He was very direct. I was sitting 
at church, and I looked right in front of me, and there's a little pocket in, on the chair in front of us with a little leaflet where they actually were promoting the Stephen ministers. And I picked it up, and I was reading about it, and I was like, hmm, it's interesting. I, I, at that time, I was going through a lot of hardship with my marriage because um, my husband was pretty much withdrawing from me. He was not talking to me anymore. He was working very long hours, like 12-hour days, and I was feeling more and more lonely, and I was like wondering what was happening. So I asked my next-door neighbor if she knew anything about Stephen Ministers, and she said that she actually went to Stephen Ministers for two years. She actually met somebody, and they're very discreet, that they never um, share your information with anybody, that they keep everything very much private, and they just talk to you, and they guide you in a biblical way. And I didn't know anything about the Bible either, so I was very curious to know how that would work for me. And because God has all along wanted to draw me closer to Him, and I was always fighting it. And somehow He He got a hold of me because I called two weeks later with the hope they didn't answer and they didn't give me a name or anybody. <laughs> I called and I said, um, I would like to see a Stephen minister. I'm going through marital problems. And that same day they called me and they assigned me a caregiver. So we met and on our first meeting, we were we were talking and um, she actually explained to me in biblical terms how how Jesus died for me how God and she started opening her Bible and showing it to me and um, I've never even read a Bible in my entire life I've never ever owned a Bible in my life so it was pretty much a surprise for me to read and to find that the word was speaking to me. I was like, hmm, this is interesting because it really is talking to me. And um, she said, would you like to receive Jesus in your heart? And I was very surprised by that because of being Catholic, I didn't know what that meant. I was, I must have <laughs> looked at her like with alien eyes thinking, what is she talking about? <laughs> and uh, she just looked at me and she says, would you like to receive Christ? And I said, I said, yes. And from then on, just my life just changed completely. It was like a total radical change. I went into a new next phase. I lost my job. And then that same week, I found out my husband was betraying me. And that betrayal really hurt me very deep. And through the um, Stephen minister, she helped me with her biblical um, knowledge and with everything that she knew and with all of her prayers and with all of her love that she was pouring onto me. I found that really Jesus was helping me and was in my life because she never let go of me, not one second. So I signed up for the divorce care class, and the most important thing that I learned about divorce care was about forgiveness. And um, I learned that forgiveness is a choice and not a feeling, and that we have to choose to forgive. And um, that said, I always thought, you know, how much my, how much my ex-husband now uh, has hurt me because of his betrayal and everything but uh, I said well 
if Jesus forgave me because he died in the cross for me, who am I not to forgive him, you know? Who am I not to forgive those that hurt me? Like my mother that used to beat me up and, you know, and my father who abandoned me since childhood. After I forgave my ex-husband for everything and everybody that has ever hurt me in my life, I have decided um, to praise the Lord because that's what He wants of us. He wants us to praise Him. And I have felt more free to actually love Him and to praise Him. So I joined the praise gang and I am now singing with the praise gang and I feel that I can praise Him unencumbered. And uh, it is awesome to be able to sing to the Lord every day like the angels do, you know, singing praise, praise, praise the Lord. So so here I am in another transition. So I'm waiting for him now to show me where he wants me to go from here. I am open to go whenever, whatever, and however he wants me. I'm just here ready for him. And that's how I'm going to move. So just listen to the Holy Spirit guide me. Was that not a beautiful story? You may have seen, Lotus was on the end up here. She was singing in the praise gang uh, today. That's part of what God is calling us to do. Did you notice the people involved in her life? A neighbor who was inviting her to church for two to three years before she responded. A uh, Stephen minister who came alongside her to pray, she said, for her, to love her, and to kind of open up the gospel and what the Bible actually says and invite her into that life with Jesus. That's beautiful. By the way, we do have Stephen ministers for anyone who is hurting. If you're in that place in your life where you're lonely, where you're going through struggles, where you need someone to come alongside of you. We have men who are ready to partner up with men and women who are ready to partner up with women. And uh, you can take advantage of that great ministry of uh, Stephen ministry that we offer here. And uh, it was also interesting to hear her talk about divorce care, wasn't it? (laughs) Because... In divorce care, as she was dealing with this great struggle, um, Larry and Susan Pitts, who minister in that group, came alongside her and actually were able to guide her in the path that God would bless as she uh, walked through this very difficult time. Um, Family ministry offers a lot of opportunities for you to make part of your story ministering to other people who are hurting. And uh, Stephen Ministry is one, obviously, and divorce care. And you know we have divorce care for kids. We have special needs uh, ministry. We have um, Celebrate Recovery that meets here every Friday night for folks who are struggling with Hurts and habits and hang-ups and addictions. 
We have the landing, which is that same thing for teenagers that meets here every Tuesday night. We have Narcotics Anonymous that meets here on Monday night. We have marriage mentoring, folks we have trained that can step alongside of a marriage that's hurting. And we uh, have Intimate Encounters, which is a great Bible study to help bring more intimacy into your marriage. All of those ministries are available for you to make them part of your story of how you are taking what's important to God, people, especially people who are hurting, and you're making it important to yourself because you're giving your time and effort and energy to reaching out to these folks. And if you're one of the folks that need someone like that, call us. Let us help you. And by the way, any of these things, you can go to uh, our website, uh, fellowshiproswell.org, and you can click on Family Ministries and find all the support kind of ministries that you can be part of or you can receive from. Because one of the things we're going to say today is this. If you want your children to embrace the culture that God wants them to embrace and not the culture that we live in, Kind of what Paul said last week, not only do you have to tell them the stories of God, they have to see the story of God in your life. And so the question, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or whether you're a friend of other hurting people, can people look in your life and can they say this, what's important to God, you have made important to you, mom, dad, And when you do that, that's when you are becoming part of the story God wants you to become. Because stories have impact. And we're going to change the culture or we're going to help our people survive in this culture, especially our children, when they come to have hearts that are passionate about taking what's important to God and making it important to them. And that's really the call that God has for us here. Now, as we said before, it's tough because our culture is good at making stories, attractive stories. Our culture is good at pulling you in and making you want to embrace values that are not of God. In fact, the truth is that's been happening for decades in America Do you realize that soap operas changed the moral culture of our family? They had that impact because those characters would be in those stories for decades, some of them. But you would fall in love with those people. Now, you were not falling in love with a real person. That that was fictional. They actually went home after that. (laughs) They had totally different lives. But you fell in love with a person, and this person you fell in love with, they embrace values that were not even close to where God would want us. But because you fell in love with the hero, you began to change your attitude towards those things. And this is exactly what media has done in shaping our culture. It has given us so many avenues to fall in love or to be impressed by or to want to be like heroes 
that are not heroes that even come close to making life work. Have you noticed, some of you may, you know, read what actually happens in the real lives of movie stars. They're not actually doing too well. They have a pretty hard time holding families together. Uh, They end up in, you know, really bad places. So their actual lives don't work nearly as well as their fictional lives. But you embrace and our children embrace their values because of their fictional lives. So as parents, we've got to let our kids know that. Here's a good question. If you have a child between 7 and 13, what are the posters on the walls of their bedroom? Because the posters on the walls of their bedroom will tell you something about their, the heroes they value who have values they are teaching. Think about the books your kids read. Some of them really good books. We can think of everything from Harry Potter to the Vampire Diaries to the Hunger Games, you know, books that have just gone crazy in our culture. And, you know, some of those books are really well written. There's an absence of God in them. Have you noticed that? And so what happens is, We raise children who fall in love with people who don't need God to get to a place that the child wants to get to. And so the message we send is, you don't need God because they don't have God. And even though there are thousands and thousands of connections to plug into stories in our culture, there are general themes that run through all these stories. And one of them is, you, make, you don't need God to make life work. You don't need God. And many times the theme is, if you are godly, you're kind of weird. And so our culture has really taken a hold of the hearts of our children and we've been asleep at the wheel and we don't even realize how critical it is that we help shape the heroes they fall in love with. And we don't realize how critical it is that we somehow need to take the Bible and make it a book that is exciting. Because, by the way, the stories in the Bible, you know, there's some real... Really uh, good stuff in there. Uh, They've made a lot of movies, actually, from it. But uh, we've got to do that. And most important, maybe, or with that, you have got to be a story. (coughs) Excuse me. Your life has got to reflect the fact that what is important to God is important to you. Because that's what shapes our children. There was a um, book written called Revolutionary Parents by George, uh, George Barna. And what, here's how he approached. He was trying to figure out how do we impact this generation so when they become young adults, they love the Lord, embrace the Lord, and they value what he values. And so what he did is he interviewed 10,000 
young adults in their 20s. 10,000. That's a big sample for a study. Out of that, he figured out who in this group had a walk that showed they were excited and passionate about living a life that really blessed God, that honored God, that really lived out what he called them to do. Then they got that group. Then they re-interviewed those people so they would know even more about them. Then they went to their parents and interviewed their parents to see if what the child was saying happened at home really happened. And they interviewed the parents and almost always it was the same story. And then they asked the parents, what did you, what did you do? What's the consistent activities? What is it that all of you did alike that produced these young adults who seem so passionate about God. And from that study, he wrote the book, Revolutionary Parents. I'm not going to tell you exactly what he found out. Uh, In the fall, we're going to do another series called Faith at Home. Uh, And Crawford's going to do that series and Several of us are going to be part of that. But we realize it's critical that we as parents find a way to be successful or more successful at actually growing up our kids in a way that we have a good shot at having them continue to love God and serve God. Um, We're going to do something else. This is a little commercial. Uh, In the fall, we're going to ask parents of uh, kids in transitional years. That is, if you have a child who is in fifth grade starting in September, in eighth grade or in twelfth grade starting in September, we want to spend a year working together to develop an approach for this transition that's coming up. Because what we find is, Kids are most open to being shaped and to change during transitional periods. And so it's going to be a discovery group. We're going to meet eight times during the year, September to May. And we are going to wrestle with, as a group, what are the areas that we really need to focus in. So it's not going to be a lecture series. It's going to be a working group series. And how... Do we deal with our children in a way that we can powerfully help shape um, the way they deal with God as they go into this transitional year? To me, that's an exciting concept. And if you would like to be a part of that, (laughs) you can go on on the website and you can sign up to be a part of those transitional parent groups. And we'll get together and we'll meet on Sunday mornings and we will figure out for these children that they have a year to work with entering into this transition, how can we be more effective in doing that? So that's the commercial. Now it's not hard to figure out um, what the Bible would tell us about what we need to do 
if we really are going to start this journey where our story becomes a story that values what God values. We would always go to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, and you're familiar with that, where Jesus says, you know, the great commandment, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. That is the heart of it. If you are at a place where you're still trying to make life work without God being a central part of your life, I'm sure you're finding out it's not working too well. Because the way God has set it up, he has set it up that the Christian life works when we yield and submit ourselves to whatever it is that God wants to do through us. And so many times in life, what we tend to do is we have our plans, our personal plans for success, and we have what God says, and we try to negotiate somewhat. You know, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to do this. <laughs> I'm not willing to go here, really. 10%, come on, really. And whatever that negotiation is, it never leads to success. Because one of God's principles He doesn't negotiate. And he doesn't ask for half your life. He doesn't ask for most of your life. He asks for all of our lives. The whole thing. He says, I need to be the most important thing in your life. Matthew 22, 37. And so if we are going to be people who have a story to tell, because we're living a story that is centered in what God is all about, it has to begin with a recognition that really God does want your whole life. He wants to use it in a way that will fit into his plan, not in a way that fulfills your personal plan. And it's in submitting to that that you actually find life. That's the amazing thing that the gospel talks about, that following Christ talks about. How does it make sense that if you want everything, you have to give up what you have? If you want to be at the head of the line, you must go to the back of the line. How does all that work? Because in God's economy, that's what he blesses. He actually blesses that. And if if you're going to have that, in my experience, you have, to, you have to travel through Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 was a hymn in the early church. They recited this again and again and again because it takes and puts into a kernel what we're talking about. Would you give me a, the privilege of showing you another video? Why don't we roll that second video? Ah. Said the snake, faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn. With just one bite, you be just like him. Eyes wide open, knowing the heights of what humans can do. 
knowing the depths, the despicable too, God would have no tactical advantage over you. You and your man could have the run of the place, total control over the food you eat, the life you live, the path you choose. With just one small bite, you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. Closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise with open eyes, she said. What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down and the universe was silent. It was the cool part of the day, and God was walking, walking through the land he made, his ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kiss the innocence goodbye Adam where you hiding son Eve girl what have you done Around. It's broken now. Under a curse. From bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen. Life will be shorter. Pain will be greater. Work will be harder. Grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands. Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, reframed. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head. You will strike and bite his heel. You will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for eons. He looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now, he said. And the serpent, 
That's why we need Philippians chapter 2. Because it's not just the culture. It's that Satan invades your personal space and he tells you this lie. God does not have your best interest at heart. I have a plan that is much more fulfilling than this plan that God has. And Eve believed it. And so do many of us. Satan is good about spinning fantasy. Because that's what he did to Eve, right? He said, you know, your life could be a lot better than God is going to allow your life to be. Think about it. Those are powerful words. (laughs) Think about it. And we dwell on it. And we think about it. And it owns us. So if we don't come to a Philippians 2 experience, we can't overcome that. Listen to these words. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not cling to to the idea, to equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't do that. He was God, but he didn't cling to that. He didn't have an entitlement attitude. I deserve this. He had a submissive attitude. So it says, instead he gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. You see, God can ask us to give us his whole life, to give us our whole life. Because he asked Jesus to do the same. And if anyone had the right to say, I deserve better than this, Jesus had that right. But he set aside his divineness and he took on a form that was that of a slave and he gave his whole life on the planet to God, the Father. But see, it doesn't stop there because when it was over, it says, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Because Jesus calls us to give our whole lives, we have to go to Philippians 2 to remind ourselves he's not asking something he hasn't done. 
And by the way, life does not end on this planet. I have yet to find Moses' retirement program or Paul's retirement program. You may retire from work. You cannot retire from serving God. In fact, your latter years should be more focused on being effective at this than your younger years when you weren't quite as smart. And the call of God to all of us is if our life is going to be a story that tells about God, it has to begin with this approach. We can't allow God to be an interest or an influence or part of our life and have a story for God. But once you're there, in fact, I love the, the way Second um, Peter chapter 1 puts it. He divides your life with God into two parts. You're f- coming to faith in Jesus. You can't work for that. There's nothing you can do to get that faith that, G- that, that you place in Jesus and the salvation he gives you. You can't work one iota for your salvation. But then Peter turns around and he says, but now I want you to work hard at godliness. In fact, he goes through that list of seven things. I want you to work hard at being morally excellent. I want you to work hard at uh, having... Uh, Godliness, loving the brethren, loving other people, being in self-control. He goes through a list of things and he says, this is where you work hard. This is where you make decisions that things flow into your life where the story of God is seen. Working hard is not something that Christians don't do. We don't do it for our salvation, but we do it because God gives us the privilege of volunteering to live a life like that. Do you want to give God one of the best gifts you can give him? Give him your life. Get to the end of the day when you lay down at night and be able to say to God, God, I chose to do this because of you. I live this way because of you. I was tempted to do this, but I decided not to do that because of you. That's my gift to you. You can give that gift. No one else can give it for you. And that's what you work hard at. You work hard at developing that story of God living in you because you are willing to follow him in how he says to live your life. And let me tell you, at times, that can be a very challenging task. First Peter tells me this. Second Peter, I mean. God will never make people godly who don't want to go there. He'll never do it. But if you seek him and you head in that direction, he will add to your life in a way that you will get to a place you never could have got to on your own. Because of what God added to it. So I think the challenge we all face is this challenge of um, helping the next generation. 
The best way we can help the next generation not be swallowed up by the culture they're in is by telling the story of God, by telling stories about God and being a story of how we value what God values and we show it in our life. Can I pray for all of us that we would head in that direction? (laughs) Father, we do. um, In fact, why don't we stand as we do this? Father, we do come before you and ask you to bless us. I ask you to bless all these folks wherever they may be in the journey we've been talking about today. And if they're at a place in this journey where they don't yet have that free gift of salvation, that they would trust you kind of like Lourdes did in the film. Even though she had never had a Bible, even though she had never read the Bible, she heard the gospel and she trusted you. I pray if there are folks here who are like that, you would lead them to yourself. And then, Lord, I pray that all of us would understand we're part of a much bigger thing you are doing. And you're inviting us into your mission for your purpose. And I pray we would have hearts yielded to doing what you call us to do. And you would help all of us to take steps in that direction. And we pray for this and ask that blessing upon uh, ourselves in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, go and have a great week.